Hi everyone. Firstly, a little apology. I've been at the Ashes all weekend, uh, working at Lords, and I seem to have lost my voice after some of the uh, antics of the last day of the cricket. I got quite involved with it, so apologies if I sound a little bit croaky today. In every episode, I've told you about seasonal ingredients. Berries in the summer, rhubarb in the earliest days of spring. The seasons shape all of that, the fresh ingredients, and they taste best when they're in season. But did you know the same can be said for cheese? In this episode, I'm on something of a journey of discovery to one of my favorite suppliers. I'm going to learn all about seasonal cheese, what we should be eating and when, and why just a few days can change the flavor profile of some of my absolute favorites. You have one med on the 18th of April and one med on the 22nd of April. So you can even see the differences on these cheeses. This is only four days apart. Well, I mean, that is fascinating, four days apart. And if you'd have told us it was six weeks apart, I'd have been like, oh, I'd have believed you. My name is Tommy Banks and you're listening to Seasoned, my podcast all about life at my farm and at my restaurant, The Black Swan. Every week I will profile some delicious seasonal ingredients and tell the story of food from field to fork. This is Seasoned, episode 13, Cheese. Before we begin, I just want to say massive thank you to all of my well-seasoned members. This week, you should have received your first monthly newsletter in your inbox, packed full of restaurant recommendations, recipes, and a little profile about Dickie, some news from the farm, and loads more too. And later in this episode, we'll be announcing our first winner, who will be receiving our amazing Kasai Grill giveaway. I know lots of you were hoping it would be you, so stay tuned to find out. But don't worry if it's not you, because a new month means a new monthly prize. And in July, we're gifting a dinner and stay at my Abbey Inn. You'll be treated like royalty with our best room overlooking the Abbey itself. You'll have dinner and drinks on the house and you'll get to meet me and the team too. That draw will be at the end of July. And for everyone who has already subscribed to Well Seasoned, you're already in the hat. Good luck. Now, on with the show. It's been a hugely busy week. I spent five days working at Lord's for the second Ashes test, and what a test. You'll know from last week that I love my cricket, so to be that close to the action, it's hard sometimes to focus on what we're supposed to be cooking. I take lots of my trusted team with me down to London, but there's still three restaurants and a farm which need to keep going, so everyone has to work together. Callum has been busy at the Black Swan with a new two-part venison dish going on the menu. I only got to try this just before I came away, but it's delicious, really clever. Locally shot venison, served first as a barbecued loin alongside a beetroot and nasturtium salad, some of Dickie's elderberry ketchup and a nasturtium flower vinegar and nasturtium ketchup. We're not talked a lot about nasturtium on this podcast, but it's got the most incredible peppery flavour. Callum's also barbecuing the flank for the second stage, served in a kohlrabi taco. Yes, enough of the kohlrabi did survive from the free-range hens last week. What I love about these dishes is that they look so colourful and fresh, and they're singing summer on a plate. At the Abbey Inn, we've extended our opening hours, so now we're serving lunch and dinner on Mondays as well. 
And those Mangalitsa steaks, they've already sold out. We better get some more on the menu soon. Now, before I went down to Lord's for the first time this series, I wanted to get out there and meet some of our seasonal suppliers who keep our restaurants stocked up with ingredients we just can't make ourselves. And so Dickie and I jumped in the van and paid a visit to Courtyard Dairy, just near Settle, where we source all of our cheese. Tucked just off the A65 on the way across the Lake District, Courtyard Dairy is a cheese shop like no other. What an awesome place, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually, it looks like it's changed a lot. I mean, these ski um, ski lifts were here last time. Yeah, <laughs> it looks a lot bigger as well. I'm so excited. Yeah, there is a couple of ski lifts in the front yard for people to sit in and try some raclette, but it's the shop I want to go and see, and owner Andy is waiting to meet us. Now then, Andy. How are we doing? You well? Right. How are we doing, Tommy? You well, Dickie? Yeah, good to you. Nice to see nice you. Nice to see you again. Nice, nice yeah. to be here. Right, shall we uh, go and eat some cheese? Yeah. Right, let's go on. Smell cheese. Smell cheese. <laughs> yeah, so what we did is you've been a long time since you've been. Well, not too long, but pre pandemic. Oh, it's way, way bigger. It's, yeah. This was a museum. Yeah, it was a museum. So, <laughs> so this is Phil, so if, and then this is Jenny. And Jenny, Jenny's been with us for seven years for us since. Um, Hi, Jenny. Nice place to be. So, yeah, so it was a little last time you came, we just had the little shop here and just that entrance. Yeah. Then the museum, then the cafe upstairs. Then the pandemic changed everything. We had to space people out more. We had to close the cafe. So we knocked through the walls and we put a brand new entrance in. Um, and then we decided to double the cheese counter. So a lot more cheese in here, a lot more cheese to taste. Um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely, I think because now it's so much bigger, there's just so much to look at. It's almost quite overwhelming. <laughs> and there's a lot of cheese. I mean, when, you, when it, sometimes we count up the value of the cheese in here, you know, and it's just, there is a lot of cheese in here. If you look at it, you know, it's, um, you know, it, if you imagine each one of those Parmesans is over a thousand pounds, you know, you're looking wow. at six of them for starters, you know, never mind all the, you know, the St. Andrew's cheddars and the, and the Doddingtons and everything. Yeah. That's sitting there. When he says there's a lot of cheese, he means a lot of cheese, massive wheels piled on top of the other and a huge display cabinet spanning the whole width of the shop. So what temperature is it in here then? Usually about 12 degrees. Yeah. So it always feels colder in the summer because it's warmer outside. Yeah. But in the, in the winter, nobody notices it because they're already wrapped up. Yeah. So how many different cheeses have you got in here, Andy? It looks like a lot. Yeah, so we actually try and keep, for a cheese shop, we keep a quite a narrow range. So for us, it's kind of all about quality so we only do about 40 cheeses which means that might sound like a lot but you've got a cheese shop in France or Centre London probably talking 150 200 wow. but the reason we do that is for us it's all about quality so by only having 30 to 40 we can have a direct relationship with each farm and then we can turn over that volume of cheese yeah so you know so each farm we work with some of them we take all of their production um, we mature them on site and some of them we help with them how they feed and they breed their animals so that's what we're looking at we're looking at that type of cheese that's made on the farm, that's made by hand, which kind of once upon a time was done everywhere, every farm made cheese. You know, there's cheese stones outside from two miles away, um, but that kind of died out. And there's, you know, Yorkshire's got five million people. It's got three farm cheese makers. hundred years ago, it had two million people. It had 2000 farm cheese makers. Wow. And wow. so that's, that's flipped on its head and we're trying to kind of bring that back. 
Andy explains to us that this shop is actually changing the whole landscape, encouraging more farmers to make cheese and do it properly. Our ethos for, for what we're trying to do is we look for on-farm production, we look for farming techniques, so we look at native breeds, traditional grasses, um, sustainable farming techniques, we look at raw milk if we can, and then we look at the cheese making recipe and almost trying to make it more traditional, which sometimes means more inefficient, so slower traditional cultures, natural vines like that, um, family farms, and then we look for flavour, and then we look for locality. So that's kind of our order of priority. Mm -hmm. uh, locality is obviously very important. For us, it's more important than we support kind of a traditional farm making in this uh, old-fashioned manner. You know, and that's what we're trying to do. That's really interesting. I think you could go to, and people would think, oh, well, I just want Yorkshire cheese. But actually, it's not really about that, is it? It's about finding like-minded people who are doing exactly. doing things in, in the right way. And one of the kind of real success stories for me in our shop, we've been going 10 years here, is that when we opened our shop, the closest farmhouse cheesemaker was Kirkham's Lancashire, Graham Kirkham. Um, and there wasn't any within about 30 miles. And now we've got one 10 miles down the road. We're about to start making cheese here. We've got one in West Yorkshire. We've got one in Pateley Bridge. We've got one at Leyburn. And for me, in the last, even the last five years, uh, this shop has kind of enabled, I'm not saying they're all down to us, but it's enabled it to be a focus of a hub of where people come together. The, all these cheesemakers come together and we learn from each other and we talk to each other. And it's allowed these farms to diversify and see a route where it could be sold. And, and for me, that's great. The fact mm. is, when we opened our shop 10 years ago, about half of these cheeses weren't being made. You know, and, and so we actually have more local cheeses than we did. Um, and that's because, you know, we put a lot of effort into nurturing farms, diversifying and making cheeses like this, which is, which is great. That, that's incredible, because that's one of the things that we talk about quite, me and my dad talk about quite a lot. It's like, how can farmers diversify? And how can small farms exist nowadays? And you've got to find some way of creating a product yeah. that, that can add more value. I mean, who would be a small dairy farmer? You, you can't make money. So you might like native breeds of cows. You might like pasture fed. You might like traditional herbal grasses. The cost of production on a litre of milk of all that, probably going to be up 60, 70 P. The cost of milk in the market now is 37 P. Mm. So if you farm, oh, we like sustainable, ethical, traditional hay meadows, ground nesting birds, soil health, you're going to make a loss, you know? But the point about, it's a win-win situation with cheese because doing those kind of nice farming, farming things makes the milk taste better. So actually the cheese tastes better, so you can justify it. It's, we're not just doing it because it's, oh, it's lovely and that's what we want from our product, but actually the, the end result is the flavor of the cheese mm. is better. I could talk for hours about the challenge for small-scale farmers and how diversification is crucial for their survival. And there's no better example than right here but enough talking, I want to eat some cheese. Jenny, would you like to give these young gentlemen some tasters when they talk about the cheese? Because, <laughs> you know. Nice. Now we're talking. <laughs> so we're looking at a count of sort of fresh cheeses here. You've got the Hebden goat, which is like a little goat's cheese, almost like a crottin. You'd often see them in France a lot, don't you? And I think with them sort of cheeses, you often think about them being quite seasonal because they're a fresh yeah. cheese. So historically all cheese was seasonal. Not a lot of people realise this, but cows, goats, sheep, they were all made seasonally because in order to milk an animal, you have to feed it more. Nowadays, we've got big machinery and fossil fuels, so we can cut a load of food, we can grow a load of grass, we can bring them indoors. In the olden days, you only really milked your animals in the spring and the summer when grass was, the food was cheap because the cows outdoors, yeah. they, without being too crude, they ate their own food, they spread their own muck. 
Yep, that's the ideal, that for me is an ideal cow. And to milk it, you have to feed it. So historically, all cheese have been seasonal, but there's very little of it left nowadays, but it's something we try and keep alive. So as you said, the Hebden goat, Jenny here will give you a little try. She dries her goats off in the winter. So traditionally, how much a goat milks is related to how long this, how much sunlight it gets. So as the days get shorter, it produces mm. less milk and then it dries off in the winter. Um, so traditionally you wouldn't have got um, goat's milk mm. throughout at all in the winter. So we don't sell these cheeses in the winter. Mm. Um, and, and that's the way it used to be done. Nowadays, obviously people cheat the system. They bring the, the animals indoors, they can put lights on them. And it's not what we're about really. We're about this seasonality. That is a cheese you want to eat in summer. It's fresh, it's a little bit chalky, but it's got that acidity yep. and then just cleans itself up, even though it's really rich and really fatty. So they're outside now, they're on grass. This cheese is only two or three weeks old. You know, it's fresh. It kind of suits this type of weather, hot sunny day, crisp glass of white wine. Yeah. You, know, it just, you just want to eat it like that. This Hebden goat's cheese is super tasty and knowing that it's seasonal and only available right now makes it just taste that bit better to me. Andy's got another goat's cheese lined up, the Ingot made in South Cumbria from a herd of 200 goats. And for that cheese, the season's dictated not by the weather, but by the billy goat. So there's a great story with the Ingot two years ago. So you've got to decide when you want to milk your goats by when you put the billy goat in. Okay, so the billy goat does his business, then several months later, the milk starts to come through. And so Martin had timed it so that he'd have a few cheeses left for Christmas. So he wanted to put his billy goat in quite late. So that they'd kid quite late, late spring. So there'd be some milk still coming through at Christmas. But the billy goat got out and got in with the female goats. And in two days, two days that he was there before they noticed, 50 goats, 50 goats had been impregnated. And it meant that that Christmas, we didn't have any goat's cheese because they all they all kidded early, the milk came through early, we lost that season. So we had lots too much milk now, really. That, so it just shows you that seasonality. Prolific and Billy. That, so that's a Billy with a, with a, yeah, with a bit of stale. So that's um, so but that's, when you talk about seasonal cheese and then that whole season of that farmhouse cheese has been dictated by the Billy goat getting out. So there's so many variables. I mean, you think of weather, really, but yeah. It's not just goat cheese, Andy's shop is full of all the varieties you'd expect and he wanted to show me one cheese called St. James. He had two blocks of the same cheese made just four days apart but he assured me these two cheeses would taste totally different and to be honest I was a little bit sceptical. So one of the things I like about farm cheese is not only do you get a reflection of the place where it's made but you also get a reflection of the day when it's made. And that's the seasonality thing coming through. So these ones here, you have one made on the 18th of April and one made on the 22nd of April. So you can even see the differences on these cheeses. This is only four days apart, but we're not just talking seasonal within spring to summer. We're talking, you know, pasture to pasture. They'll be on different fields that will affect it because they're not standardizing the milk like a factory will do. And um, because the sheep on slightly different pasture, because he's farming very traditionally, he uses the milk every single day, doesn't store it straight out of the uh, sheep, straight into the cheese making vat. If it was a warmer day, you'll know from Dickie from when you preserve stuff, it yeah, makes a difference. Say you know, about what you're saying about like capturing a certain day, yeah. it's so relevant to us as well. The really interesting thing here is that these cheeses are made four days apart. If you hadn't had them little date stickers on there, and I looked at them, I'd have said that one was older. 
It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Just because it's, it's running about it's a bit more, it looks a bit more soft, a bit more mature. Yeah, so that'll be because that was probably made on a drier day. So the bacteria used to make it worked harder, so drove more moisture out. Yeah. Um, and so that means that you get firmer day because the day was probably warmer or probably there was slightly less fat in the milk. If you've got more fat in the milk, mm. it'll make a moister cheese. Most cheese isn't sold in a shop like this. No. So this kind of a discussion is hard to have. You can't have it online very easily, you know, yeah. without kind of putting a video every every couple of days, you yeah, know, yeah. having a discussion. You can't have it on pre-pack. You can't have it in, even in most farm shops like the supermarkets. And there's, so for Martin, he makes a very small amount of cheese, but he needs to sell to cheese shops like this and they need to continue to exist. And it's a nice talking point, but that's, this is what food buying for me should be about. It should be a pleasure. You know, you come into a shop and we talk about it and we eat things. Um, and that's what we're trying to do really. So the seasonal is a nice thing, something to talk about. In the wine world, yeah. that sort of thing, terroir is just talked about all the time and differences and people appreciate it. Whereas cheese, I don't think has that, that sort of recognition in, in that way. But I mean, that is fascinating, four days apart. Oh, and if you'd have told us it was six weeks apart, I'd have been like, oh, I'd have believed you. Yeah. Every cheese here has its own story, and Andy loves to share his passion for the production cycle with his customers. Since COVID restrictions have lifted, Andy's been thinking about ways to give customers that bit more, and so a huge expansion is going on at the back of the shop, and Andy has some big plans. Right, well, what we'll do is we'll go a quick tour around the new extension we're building, and then we'll go and sit down and uh, talk a little more, eat a bit more cheese. And I'll show you the little store that we have on site here just for Black Swan's cheese that we uh, specially Amazing. mature. Um, and then hopefully we'll have some food. This is not work. <laughs> <laughs> what we really wanted to do was create uh, what we wanted to do effectively was a mecca for cheese. So if you're into cheese, wherever you are in the world, you go at some stage, you've got to go to the Cotillard Dairy. Yes. You know, we've got an amazing cheese shop, but we wanted to link all the last little bits together and kind of make it a smooth running operation. So we put an extension part of it, I'll show you around. Um, so this kind of bit here is staff entrance, but we're gonna cheese making room through there, which will enlarge out. So you can wow. be able to see a bit of cheese making on site. So my wife, Cathy, who used to run our cafe, is gonna take over cheese making. We've got a farm next door, which um, spring calves still, so only milk's out of pasture. And during the summer, we're gonna make cheese from his milk. And so you can see all that process. This space and downstairs will be a little museum space we're putting back in. And then this, we will become a restaurant. So, wow. um, so it's only gonna be open during the day, but this is, we're gonna outsource this. So we have a really great company who we work with in, in London called The Cheese Bar, and they're gonna take and run this because wow. I wanna concentrate on making the cheese, maturing the cheese, and I wanna make the whole place about cheese. You know, I don't want anything in here that doesn't sing for cheese that's we're not trying to become some destination other than for farm cheese and it's just cheese. spreading your yeah. mantra yeah right? exactly yeah, that's the thing yeah. and it all gets a bit romantic and i know i say it a lot but it's like it makes a real difference yeah. like you it's about you want to create like a legacy which is like all these new supported all these cheese makers but also new ones like you say popping up yeah and and, and educating people because there's a lot of cheese eating in this country we need to get more people eating this style of cheese um, because it tastes really good. Like Duncan, who works for us, Duncan's in his 60s, started working for us packing boxes, had never eaten cheese like this. You know, and, you know, just worked in our warehouse packing boxes. And every month, all our staff get a little bag of cheese to take on. You know, they get, they get a subscription to our club. 
And now you could, it's probably our best customer. Right? You know, <laughs> so, and you think that how many people out there are like Duncan's who all their life have kind of, mm. you know, gone to the supermarket, lived that kind of life, and then actually, and he's prepared, because the thing about cheese, what I love about cheese is you can get the best cheese in the world, and I'm not saying that's what we've got, but that's what we're aiming for. And it's still affordable. It mm. is more expensive than Cathedral City, but it is still affordable. It's not like the best car in the world or the best piece of technology or the best wine. I can't afford that. But the average man can still get an amazing cheese board as a treat and sit down at home. And I think that's a nice thing. And, and we should put more emphasis on that. Who can argue with that? It's so great to meet a supplier with the passion and dedication to one ingredient. And while I've been a customer here for years and built my cheese boards from Andy's suggestions, I don't think I've given my diners the full story of his cheese and what makes it so good. And right on cue, Andy's tour took us outside and see a small storage unit which is exclusively for my cheese at the Black Swan and Roots. Uh, everything in here is yours, pretty much. Cow, and do not touch. Are all, yeah. <laughs> these are all um, killings that were made last year that we bought and laid down for you to use in your restaurant this year. This small container is piled pretty high and it's home to my favourite cheese, an Irish cheese called Killeen, which Andy ages for us. You won't be surprised to know that that has its own story too. So I used to work for a little firm down the south of England and we used to supply cheese to um, the Middle East and we had one Arab sheik who would only have white cheese. Right? And so we bought in a load of Killeen and he wanted a different white cheese every, every time he bought off us. And we bought in a load of Killeen for him because it was white and it was a different cheese that we'd never had before. He'd had all the other goat's cheeses because goat's milk is white. And then I don't know what happened, but he disappeared. We never heard from him again. And we had all this Killeen and we, we didn't stock it. So we just hit it in a corner and forgot about it. <laughs> and then when we came to taste it, we're like, wow, that's amazing. And we did that three or four years ago. Um, and we sent some to Tommy and Tommy was like, I want this all the time. <laughs> so, so, the, um, so, so we decided, we came to an agreement that we would lay down, we lay down about six cheeses of our allocation a month, which then slowly builds up over the year. We are very grateful for it, yeah. Well, I just I just love everything about this, Andy, because it feels like something like what we would do, Dicky, doesn't it? Like we've got a, a container, got something. Just you basically this is just a room where you're making flavour. Yeah. You just put in, and, and what I love is the application of t how the application of time, obviously at controlled temperature, mm. but time changes the characteristics of something. But once it's aged, it just takes on this different flavour profile altogether. Like it's just got so much depth, so much complexity. Um, it tastes like an amazing sort of aged European cheese, I think. Yeah. I, I love it. I, that's why I'd like to do more of it. If you're in Ireland, you'll have a much better chance of finding some. But I urge you to visit Courtyard Dairy or find a local supplier and give the Colleen a taste. It's just so good though. Yeah, it's, it's it, nice it just, that cheese, isn't it? Andy's got one more surprise in store. Back indoors, a little spread of some more seasonal cheeses, including one which Dickie loves. It's just vast amounts of favourite cheese up there, but this roll right is my favourite. I first had it at Roots a few months ago and it's just it's just delicious. What I like about the, so Royal Wright is a very soft cheese. What I like about serving it in the restaurant is we serve it with a spoon. So you can't just portion that with a knife. So you just go in with a spoon and it's just fun getting a really nice sort of shape on the spoon and just dropping it off. Yeah. And I think when you serve soft cheese 
from a spoon. Well, if you have a cheese board and you know they're cut into sort of traditional shapes like triangles, and there's one which is just like a a blob. Yeah. That's the one that people go towards straight yeah, away. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we call them like sexy cheeses. No, they're, 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 <laughs> they're like cheesemongers cheeses. So because a lot of restaurants don't like them and a lot of cheese staff don't like them in delis because they're a nightmare to deal with. Yeah. But they're the ones that the customers like. So you often get cheese makers who stray away from them or try and make small little ones because they're a nightmare to handle and people won't sell them as a result and restaurants won't take them. Mm. But for me, I, I, I just, they look so good and the customers love them, which is, you know, which is much more important than yeah. how hard it is to handle. But uh, it does. Uh, so we, I, I put it in a tub so it can't escape <laughs> and then scoop out the tub as a portion, almost like it's creme fraiche or something. We change our cheese board regularly at my restaurants to reflect Andy's suggestions and to keep it seasonal, but I do have a few rules. Doing a, a cheese board in a restaurant, I think you need to have a, a variety. The reason why I let Andy lead what cheeses we have is because he's the expert and he knows he's dealing with them every day, he knows what's great. But I, I always think you, you want a, a hard cheese, like a, a cheddar style potentially, or something that fills that sort of um, fills that mold. I like to have a couple more of the softer cheeses on just because I think they're interesting and you don't see them day to day. You certainly don't see that they're less available. Um, so I think they're nice to have in a restaurant. You've got to have a blue cheese. Um, I like to sort of have, I want to have a goat's cheese on there as well. And obviously some of them can move in between. You could, you could be a hard goat's cheese or it could be a, uh, a soft goat's cheese or a, a soft blue or a hard blue. I don't really, I mean, I know that people can be picky about cheese and certain people will say, I don't eat blue cheese, I don't eat goat's cheese. I don't really care though. I think if it's good, then then I'm happy just to put it on and people can try it. I, th I think Tommy said, right, so I think as long as you've got a range, like you said, like a soft, hard and a blue, or so you've got a range of different styles. For me is, you know, I, 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 it's what, what we say to our staff is I say, I say to the team, I say, give people a taste when they come to the door. I don't care whether they like it or not. We'll find something they like, you know. You know, it's so you know. So you just need to, and that's the important thing. That's why we're here in with in restaurants like this and, and in shops like ours is to introduce people to new stuff. And when they say, "Oh, I don't like Gouda," well, maybe they've never tried a Gouda like this, you know, because they've never been into a shop like this. So that's a preconceived idea. So it's actually up to shops like ours and restaurants like Tommy's to break that down a little bit. I totally agree. I've never tried a good cheese that I haven't liked. Because you can't not like it. <laughs> like, what? Well, how can you not like it? If I mean, there's lots of cheeses that I don't want to eat, but they're just not good quality cheeses. Yeah. So the final cheese we're going to um, do is Summerfield. So this is a cheese Alpine style. So how they make them in Comte, Gruyere regions. This is actually a cheese which is difficult to make in the winter because it's difficult to make this style of cheese technologically wise from wet pasture, silage, fermented feeds. And in Britain, it, it rains a lot. So traditionally, Comte, Parmesan, Gruyere, they were only made in the summer months and they were only made when the cows out the pasture. They now do make them in the winter in those countries, but they can only make them from hay. It's illegal to make Parmesan anything other than hay. So this is kind of a copy of that, but it's made in the UK. And the way they get around that is number one, they're on the East Coast, which is drier, so they don't have as much rain. And number two, they only make this in the summer. So this is made in the old fashioned way. And this is made at Button Village, so not too far away from Oldstead. So um, this is near Whitby. Near Whitby, yeah. 
So this is only, we only sell this during the summer, and then when it goes out of season, it goes out of season. Mm. I pizza would definitely be putting a few shavings of this on my pizza. A little bit of warmth from the pizza will bring out the nuttiness a bit more. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I should the way it goes straight to the sides of your tongue. Yeah. Where you find that sort of acidity. Yeah. It's world class. It's really as good as cheese gets. What an indulgent cheese fest that was, and the fun didn't stop there. In the afternoon, Dickie and I squared off in a very competitive pizza-making competition, right in the garden of the dairy, fueled with some of Andy's best cheese. That'll be in a future episode. But first, it's competition time. Loads of you have signed up to my well-seasoned club, and you've enjoyed bonus content and recipes as well as my newsletter and one lucky subscriber has won a Kasai grill with a load of tools and utensils. You'll be receiving an email shortly, but I really hope you hear the news first on this episode. So, the winner of the Kasai grill is Helen Curran. Helen, well done, thanks so much. And I really hope you send in some pictures of what you've cooked up on your barbecue. Don't forget, Helen and all other subscribers, you're automatically entered into our next giveaway at the end of July. And this time we're giving away a trip to the Abbey Inn, complete with a stay in our best room, dinner, drinks, and a chance to meet the team too. If you want to be in with a chance of winning, visit www.tommybanks.co.uk forward slash seasoned. It's quick and easy to sign up and it costs just five pounds a month. This week, there's a bonus episode where I'm going to give you my rundown of my top five cheeses and I'm going to give you my secrets of what to do to make the ultimate carrots. I told you things have been busy this week and while I was away at the cricket, my dad and the farm team have had the task of getting our 104 Herdwick sheep sheared. Now that's not a job for the faint-hearted. This is one farming task where my dad takes more of a watching brief. We brought in a specialist, a lady called Anna, who runs what is essentially a mobile hair salon for sheep. And first thing in the morning, she's set up with a homemade conveyor belt system, which funnels the sheep along one at a time. No, we've got all the sheep in and we're actually just shearing them off, taking the wool off. It's something we do every year in June, normal, sort of amount. We've got Anna. Anna's a mobile sheep clipper. She's a one woman band who uh, comes around. She's extremely efficient, extremely good at clipping sheep. So we allow her to do it. All we're doing is just bringing the sheep in. She clips them and then off they go without the wool. Well, traditionally he sheared sheep because he wanted to get the wool. Uh, and it was a very valuable thing for making, you know, clothes and the rest of it. The problem is nowadays, the sale value of the wool is so small, it's hardly worth it. I don't think, if we tried to sell this wool, I don't think you would pay for Anna's sheep shearing charge. It, the, the wool price is so poor. But also, our sheep are Herdwicks, and their wool is not particularly sought after at all. They've got very good wool for keeping them in good condition on the mountains, in the Lake District, which is where they come from. And it's almost half hair, half wool. Very, very good for keeping the weather off, but not particularly good for clipping and making into woolen things. We do it just to tidy them up, basically tidy them up, and to make sure that they aren't too hot in summer. And also, to, there's the other problem with sheep, which is that they can get various things sort of 
fly, strike and things like that, which you get, if you, if you don't clean the tails out around the back, they can get very dirty and they can get flies on there. So if we clean them up and clip them up, it's good sound practice really. This is an extraordinary thing to witness. Each sheep is sheared in less than a minute. They're flipped onto their side and they have their fleece removed in just a few swipes of the razor. But it does mean that my dad, Ed and Christy have to have all the sheep in the right place just to be able to keep up. Get a call. Lovely. Come on girls, hup. Go on. Push, 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 push. Push, push, push. Come on, hup, hup, hup. Hup, hup, Come on. Trying to move these sheep is a challenge. If you want them to go left, they'll go right, and any chance they get, they escape. Keep pushing it this way and we'll get it back in there once it goes back round the corner. Go on, girl. Turn around. Go on, girl. Back that way. Back that way. Go on. Up you go. Up you go. Go on. Let's go this way. Come on. Processing the sheep like this allows us to check over every single one and make sure they're healthy. All the adults get a vaccine shot along with a haircut. How many are we on, Anna? 32. Few to go. Meanwhile, the newborn lambs don't have enough wool for a trim yet, but this is our first chance to do another important step for them, tagging all the lambs with a tag in their ear. Leading the process is a member of my team you've possibly not met before, my sister-in-law, Christy. So we've started gathering up a pen of lambs, so we don't need to do the, the older ewes because they all have their identification tags in, um, but the lambs don't. So this is the first time they've had this done. So Ed's gathered a load up and then we will um, basically get hold of each lamb and I'll hold the lamb and Tom will tag its ear. Up until a few years ago, Christy was working as a nurse, and as career changes go, the difference has been quite pronounced. Now, she finds herself chasing lambs around the shed and making sure they all have a tag. They, they wriggle, and you've got to be quite specific where you have the tag in the ear, between like basically two lines of, of um, sort of gristle in the ear, like a V shape, and you have to have it between, between those. So it's, you know, just basically like getting your ears pierced. It's just, it's, in, it's quick, it's just, you know, a little bit uncomfortable for a split second and then they're fine. So we've got 100, about 108 lambs to do. So it's quite, it's gonna be quite a long <laughs> task. You cannot afford to miss one. However, the rate that they're escaping out the gates that might be quite possible. Just every day is different. Um, I love working with animals. I've really enjoyed working with Tom. I think we've got on really well, haven't we? And we've, you know, we've made a really good, a really good team. But I just, I think every day, just there's something new and challenging. You're learning, like, the things I've learned in the last year are just, it's just huge. Um, started off with like 40, 40 ewes and a couple of pigs. And it's, you know, and then seeing the end product in our own restaurants and 
and pub is just, it's so exciting. It's taken a full morning, but the last of the sheep are now on the conveyor belt, ready to be sheared. In a couple of hours, all of the sheep will be driven back to the fields and on the edge of the farm where there's plenty of grass to munch on. They might find it slightly cooler without the winter coats, but they'll soon adjust and they'll be left out to roam for the rest of the summer. Dickie and I had a great day at Courtyard Dairy and I hope you learned a lot about cheese and cheese production too. I'll definitely be making sure my diners know just how special these cheeses are and I hope that maybe a few of you become customers of Andy too and help more of these brilliant cheese producers keep the production line going. If you want to get in touch with the podcast then drop us an email seasoned at tommybanks.co.uk Next week, with Wimbledon getting underway, I'm going to dedicate an episode to British strawberries, and it's a cracker. And don't forget, if you want to subscribe to Well Seasoned, all the details are at www.tommybanks.co.uk forward slash seasoned. Go on, you could be our next winner. Seasoned is a What's the Story podcast presented by me, Tommy Banks, and produced by Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis.